Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Hi there. It's Laura Wasser. And if anyone knows how much divorce sucks, it's me. I've been practicing family law for over 20 years, and I've worked on thousands of divorces. Creating peace in families is how I lost my voice. From the top of the food chain all the way down to my very first case, which was my own divorce when I was 25. I wrote the book on divorce, or I wrote a book on divorce. It's called It Doesn't Have to Be That Way, How to Divorce Without Destroying Your Family or Bankrupting Yourself. That book became a bestseller because it presented another option for ending a marriage, one that doesn't necessarily include lawyers and one that leaves more money in both parties' bank accounts and less animosity in their hearts. We created It's Over Easy, the one-stop breakup divorce resource online with the same principles in mind. So welcome to the Divorce Sucks podcast, where we talk about breaking up, getting divorced, and moving on. Good morning. Good morning. We've talked the whole night through. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning and good new year. Welcome to the Sunny Side Up Report on the Divorce Sucks podcast here at Podcast One. I'm Laura Wasser, your host. I'm Johnny Rains, the co-host. The sidekick. <laughs> the sidekick. The Robin Quivers of the bunch. And and this is our first recording in 2019. Happy New Year. So one of the things we want to start out with is from the Epic Times, January 7th, by Intellectual Takeout, 10 Reasons for America's High Divorce Rate. And why again, do you think that is? I, well, I'll, I don't know why it is, but we're going to give you some of the reasons. It's been a big week in uh, my world in terms of divorce. We've got the uh, Jeff and Mackenzie Bezos divorce that everybody's talking about. And wow. one of the questions that I have for our guest today is, who is Harvey Levin from TMZ, is why the hell do we care so much? when rich or famous people get divorced. All that money. Maybe. I mean, again, I I don't see that being as more interesting as anything else. But I know I'm different. It is not news that the U.S. divorce rate hovers around 50%. It seems more and more that divorce is no longer an anomaly, which is what we always say here at Divorce Sucks and at It's Over Easy. In fact, it might even be considered a norm nowadays. But have you ever wondered why the numbers are so high? So we are told by our friends at the Epic Times that according to Human Intimacy by Frank D. Cox and Kevin Demet, there are 10 reasons why America's divorce rates are through the roof. Here's a few of them. America's high expectations. Again, this kind of feeds into America's total fixation with famous people. Mm. And if you have this kind of fairy tale idea of how things are going to go, you are very likely to be disappointed. I'll say. What are some of the other reasons, Johnny? Tell us. Well, America's changing gender roles is a factor. Yes. The shift to more fluid gender roles means that both spouses are often in the workforce, causing conflict over childcare schedules and housekeeping responsibilities. I also think it's uh, not as necessary for women to link up with men and get married today like it was you know, 50 years ago. Totally true. Here's a good one. America's social unrest. I know that. I mean, I've, you know, tried to figure out whether I wanted to kill myself or break up my relationship as a result of what's going on in our country right now. I think some people really, Don't really, kill yourself. really, well, you're sitting here saying that I should break up with Matt. Well, you know, Sorry, I, I think I think it really does cause problems in relationships. Absolutely. Absolutely. You wake up every day to bad news. You go to sleep every night to bad news. It can put a strain on a relationship. Another one, and this is number nine, is America's acceptance of divorce. And I wanted to touch on it because, as they say in the article, it's no longer quite the taboo that it once was to be a divorcee. 
With more lenient marriage laws and a growing social rejection of the stigma, it becomes easier for couples to run with the herd towards divorce. Now, I'm not necessarily sure that that's a bad thing. As we always say here on the podcast, if you're in an unhappy relationship, don't stay in it for the kids or for the security. Figure out a way to move on to your next chapter. And that's what we're trying to help folks do if they are getting divorced. And what was the publication this article was from? The Epic Times. Is it Epic or Epoch? I don't know. I don't want to talk about it anymore. This comes to us from our friends at Brides. I had to pull this because I really thought that this was <laughs> probably a harbinger of bad You weren't the only come. one pulling something. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Once the vows have been exchanged, diving into dessert is a well-deserved newlywed rite of passage, especially after months of high-stress planning. One couple, though, unfortunately, couldn't indulge in their reception tradition after discovering that the wedding cake they had paid for had been stuffed with polystyrene foam. Ugh, disgusting. Who wants to eat that on their wedding (laughs) night? This is a reprint of Daily Brides from The Mirror. Shine to Mayo and her groom, John Chen, were allegedly scammed by both their wedding planner and caterer at their nuptials in the Philippines. That's really terrible. But I I think at the very minimum, it sounds like the cake looked nice. It did look. I'm sure it was fun for the pictures. Law enforcement officials in the Philippines confirmed the fake wedding cake's foam base covered in black and red icing. And the food that they ordered for the reception was also MIA. Right. So they had to... What did they have to do? <laughs> probably order pizza. No, no, they did. They had to quickly resort to a fast food restaurant yeah, to satiate like their guests. probably order pizza. Uh, I would have just gotten in the car and left. At least without having to eat the cake or any of the reception food, you fit into a bathing suit on your honeymoon. That's true. That's a good point. From EliteDaily.com, oh, Hannah yeah. Schneider. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Do you know what cuffing season is? C-U-F-F-I-N-G. God bless you. (laughs) I did not know what it is, but now I do because the youngsters in the It's Over Easy office all knew what it was. So cuffing season runs from October to March, but particularly during the holidays when it gets cold and people basically hook up. Ah. And so this article has to do with if you've never had good luck during cuffing season, which seems like it's about (laughs) half the year, here's the one thing to remember. And apparently um, Hannah talked to three dating experts and they all shared how important it is to be single and find fulfillment on your own. Mm -hmm. Even if you're feeling pressure to couple up or cuff right now, (laughs) these experts stress that it's okay to focus your energy on other areas of your life. And in doing so, you can set yourself up for happier and healthier future relationships. I like that. Yeah. I think it's very encouraging. Um, She goes on to say it is 100 times better to be single than to be with someone who is not well suited for you. Plus, if you feel lonely when you are single, being in the wrong relationship is way lonelier. That's what Trina Leckie had to say. Does that sound familiar? Absolutely. Yes. All right. Here's my favorite one for today's Sunny Side Up report from the Washington Post. Last week, Kathy Free gives us this couple divorced. Then she gave him her kidney. Oh, God bless her. Yes. After 21 years of marriage, Bill Hendricks and Mary Ziegler, once high school sweethearts, concluded that they were no longer a good match. The couple amicably divorced in 1995 and went their separate ways, but they continued to see each other at their kids' school and sporting events. Every once in a while, they'd run into each other at a restaurant or grocery store in their town of St. Cloud, Minnesota. She goes on to say, our interests were different, but we were always good friends, and family was a big part of our lives. Like a lot of other couples, we'd just grown apart. Get to the kidney. (laughs) 
<laughs> Henrik's kidneys were failing, and he was in need of a transplant. After nearly 40 family members and friends were tested as possible donors, only one person turned out to be a perfect match. Ziegler. She said, I just immediately knew that it was going to happen. Bill and I grew up together. We had two children together. And I knew that my children and grandchildren needed their father and grandfather in their lives. So on October 16th, more than four decades after they said, I do, she and Henrik, 62, were wheeled into an operating room at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. And one of Ziegler's healthy kidneys was removed and given to her ex-husband. The transplant went smoothly with Ziegler. What? Give me the goddamn thing. It's epic. It's epic. I want to know. But Matt and Jeff, all they wanted to do is make sure that they could tell me I was right. Epic. This has been an epic morning, by the way. But it's the epoch of our time. Do you know? No, there's no such word. Epoch on all your houses. Okay. Um, Epoch. Epoch. That's not quite epic. That's kind of epoch with a, a little hat over the O. You know what I call Mary Ziegler? <laughs> what do you call her? A good ex. Absolutely. And again, I want to tell you that in my private practice, I have had couples on more than one occasion say, and this doesn't happen often, but when they're married, sometimes one couple will be a donor for the other. And I have had a wife say to me, 20 years ago, I gave him my kidney. Mm. And with my kidney in his body, he was able to live strong and move on and cheat on me. Now we're getting divorced. Laura, get me my goddamn kidney back, which I was not <laughs> able to do that. I was not able to do. I didn't even ask, but it has happened. So to know that there are couples out there that have gotten amicable divorces, moved on with their lives and still stayed in close enough touch that one would give the other a kidney. 100%. That's what I'm talking about, folks. Yeah, you can't have my heart, but you can have my kidney. This is the Sunny Side Up Report. Ciao, America. See you soon. Peace out. Let's face it. New Year's resolutions don't usually stick. 80% fail by the end of the month. You want to focus on your health, and you have to work for it. Waking up early, going to the gym, grocery shopping for fresh produce, abstaining from alcohol. It's not easy, and it's not always fun. But now I'm eating fruits and vegetables every day without even trying, thanks to Daily Harvest. Daily Harvest delivers carefully sourced, chef-crafted food built on fruits and vegetables. You can choose from more than 50 ready-to-blend smoothies, savory harvest bowls, soups, and breakfast bowls. And the cool thing about the smoothies is they come with their own cup. They're pre-measured amounts. You put it in the blender. You put it back in your cup. Just add water or milk to a smoothie or heat up a harvest bowl. All of Daily Harvest's ingredients are carefully sourced for maximum nourishment and flavor. You can actually see all of the ingredients when you open the cup. And the best part, everything stays fresh in your freezer until you're ready to eat it. So you don't have that thing where you go to the market, you buy a bunch of food with the best intentions, and then at the end of the week, you're throwing it all away. And it takes one step and five minutes max to prepare. You can't beat that for a healthy meal. Daily Harvest is the easiest, fastest, most delicious way to load up on fruits and vegetables and to make healthy eating a habit that sticks. Go to daily-harvest.com and enter the promo code DIVORCE to get three cups free in your first box. That's promo code DIVORCE for three free Daily Harvest cups at daily-harvest.com. Daily-harvest.com. And remember, promo code DIVORCE. Today's episode of the Divorce Sucks podcast is dedicated to all of you out there contemplating the big D. 
You may know me as the divorce attorney who works with celebrities and other high net worth individuals. For those of you who follow me closely, you know that I believe divorce is the great equalizer. Celebrity or common folk, it terrifies everyone inside and out of the 30-mile zone, which is what people in Hollywood call the area around the movie and TV studios here in Los Angeles. That's also where the show TMZ gets its name. And who better to talk with us about celebrity, common folks, and terror than TMZ's Harvey Levin. He's the host, creator, and executive producer of TMZ on TV and online, and the new show Rack Rants on the BET. Harvey hosts The People's Court, which has been on the air since 1981. He also produced the show Celebrity Justice from 2002 to 2005, which is where I think we met. He is, without a doubt, one of the hardest working people in showbiz, and we'll find out why that is today. Welcome to Divorce Sucks, Harvey. It is my pleasure. I cannot believe I've just started thinking 1981. That makes me like 112. (laughs) Well, you look great. We're very happy to have you here. I know that you've been a bit sick. Our listeners will definitely bear with us when we have your laryngitis podcast today. Um, And thank you very, very much for joining us. Absolutely. I'm excited about this. So one of my questions, and again, I want to get into your background and legal and all that, because I think a lot of people probably are not aware that you hold a Juris Doctorate, a law degree. You were a lawyer first. You went to law school. That is how you got into some of the shows that we talk about. And for the most part, what TMZ reports when it reports on legal things is legally accurate. And if it's not legally accurate, you usually will figure out a way to correct it so that it is. All of that being said, you and I have gone head-to-head, toe-to-toe in the past about why America and now the world, because everybody does tune into TMZ even in other countries, is so interested in high net worth, high profile divorces. Why are we so interested and why is it in the public's best interest to have that information available? Wow. For a bunch of reasons. Um, One is that we don't cover Joe Blow's divorce. Nobody does, right? People are interested in celebrities. And they have been interested in celebrities for a 100 years. The movie studios in the 1920s didn't have walls around them. And the reason they built walls was because they started getting flooded by people who were obsessed with Charlie Chaplin and all those people. That's why Paramount has the wall it has. That's why a lot of these studios do. For years, for decades, for a hundred years, people have been interested in the lives of celebrities. There's a great book. I think it's called Summer of 27. And it's the year that the Spirit of St. Louis landed. It's the year that Babe Ruth uh, broke the home run record. The biggest article in the uh, Chicago Sun-Times in 1927 was an article, a weekly article, on Babe Ruth's bunions. (laughs) and everybody was interested in his life. So this is nothing new. And, you know, the fact that people are interested in the glamour, great. But when you think back, I mean, when Meryl, you weren't alive, and I was a kid, but I remember when Marilyn Monroe died. That was a huge deal. Why did they care about her death? That wasn't a happy event. Why, Why do you suppose they cared about her death? I don't know. You do. Because they cared about her. Yes. Okay. But why, do people care more about the bad than they care about the good? No. I, you know, it's, it, it's not that people are 
predators, you know, saying, oh, I want to see something bad about somebody. I think what they want to see is something real about people. So you, there's a sense of schadenfreude. Ha ha ha. Even these beautiful, rich, glamorous people, it, they get their hearts broken too? It's not even that. It's like, you know, when we came along, the reason I started TMZ was because I've been kind of part of television for a, a long time. And when you look at all the shows that were out, they were all really run by publicists, and it was the stories they wanted to get out. And some of them were transparently not true. You knew it. But the executive producer of a show wanted Tom Cruise for the next big interview. So you did what you needed to do to get that. Right. And it seemed phony. And I think what people want is just real. There are great things that happen to people that can resonate just when maybe things aren't so great. They want real. And real to me is, look, real is not just about TMZ. When you look at what's big on TV, Judge Judy is the biggest thing on TV. She's real. Right. It's not that she's, you know. Is she though? Yeah. It's, okay. You know what? I know her. Okay. No, it, I'm not her, is. but is her show real or is it rather produced? What? How real is reality TV? Well, look, I mean, are these real disputes? Yeah. Do the producers pay the judgments? Yes. But she is the person she was before she went on TV. That's it's what, what I've heard. But it's what makes her so popular. Right. And people want real. And if a divorce is the flip side of marriage, and you know that marriages can, you know, just transfix people. And if that, it's like, okay, well, sometimes the marriages don't end right. Right. So they're interested in that. Do studios, with the help of publicists, still kind of package couplings like they did back in the 50s and 60s? Does that still really happen? I mean, they used to do it a lot because, A, it was good for business, but B, it would also promote a, a, a star, shoot them to the top by coupling with them with someone else. Maybe if they were homosexual, it would be better for them to be seen with a woman. Does that still happen in Hollywood? It does to an extent. Okay. Yeah, it really does. And, and a lot of it is rooted in business. Right. And I guess it's always been rooted in business, but you're right. I mean, I there have been things that have just never kind of rang true, and then all of a sudden the relationship goes away after a movie. And so I think there's an element of that, yeah. And for you, what are your kind of line crossings? We've had this discussion before. Kids' names, the information that has to do with children. Where do you draw the line? We have so many. Look, I mean, you and I have known each other a long time. Yes. And you know that there are a lot of things that we get that we never, ever put up on our website and certainly not on our TV shows. And, you know, we we have discussions all day long. There are things that cross our desk all day long. And, you know, we're doing this at a certain time right now. I've already been to my office, and I rejected two of those things already today. So You rejected them because you didn't think they were actually true, or you rejected them because they, you thought that they, they could were, actually... They, they, were, they were intrusive. They so were too you, intrusive. you do a balancing test, which is what? Well, I mean, celebrities have a right of privacy. Really? Yes. <laughs> okay. Look. You heard it here first, folks. Really? Because, Laura, I will tell you a story, a quick story, that... When Britney Spears was in the middle of her divorce, and I don't even know if we've ever talked about this, but there was a document, and, and, and somehow this got filed through the conservatorship of Britney, <clears throat> and there was a document early on when we were at TMZ where it was shocking, and it involved her children, and I looked at this, and it was public, 
And I said, this has got to be a mistake. And I called the lawyer up. It was in the conservatorship side. And I said, this can't, you can't have meant to have done this. And this lawyer freaked out and called the clerk and the clerk sealed it. And the clerk made a mistake. Well, we had it as a public record. And, and you didn't put any. No. Post. OK. All right. And, and, and this happens all the time. And, you know, from your seat, usually we've already had that discussion before you find out. Yes. But there are a lot of times in cases you've had. That, that I don't even know how you, good you've been to us. I, I'm not saying <laughs> I'm not trying to be. Look, we're, we are journalists. I mean, when you think of, you know, covering the White House. There are probably, you know, there are lines there, you know, with personal relationships and th- things like that, where they wouldn't cross. That Those are the lines of journalism. Right. So we have this all the time. So let's talk about all that for time. a minute, because as, as I've said, you and I have spoken on panels about this to law students, to continuing education of the bar students. I still believe that the outweighing interest is in privacy for people going through a divorce. If I had my druthers, as you know, divorce filings would be sealed. They would not be public. People, whether, and again, you're right, nobody cares about Joe Blow getting divorced, but they care about a famous person getting divorced. And let's, so our listeners understand, once you file something, at least in the state of California, it becomes public record. So, Talk with me for a minute first before we get into the back and forth about why you believe that it shouldn't be sealed and that, in fact, right now the law is that they are not sealed. First, tell me what happens when TMZ or any other news organization gets a story. How does that happen? If it's not a tip, when it gets filed, how do your folks get it? Well, I'm not going to give you the business model here, but I can. It's really no. It's not a big secret. I mean, you can do research at the court. They have computers down there. We find out when things get filed through the computer system. It's not magic, right? Okay. So, so, so you find out, and you have two routes. Well, more than two routes, but you have multiple routes. You could either look at the a caption and, the, and find out who's who's involved, and you call the lawyers. You can call the publicist if it's a famous person. You call the public information officer of the court to get the document. I mean, so are, tell us what the public information officer of the court is. I don't think folks know that this actually is a position yeah, I, which exists. Well, they they have them, so the courts don't get the individual courtrooms don't get overrun. That if uh, media organization wants to get a document, they have a, um, a department where they will get the document for you um, in the clerk's office so the clerk doesn't get overrun and the judges don't get overrun. And anybody can get this information. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's public record. That's what public record is. Now, I guess... Well, but wait a minute. But you asked, why should it be public? Well, okay. Let's, let's talk about that. Okay. Why do you think? I, I, you've, I've heard this before, but I want you to tell our listeners so that they can then determine what they think about what, which is which way is heavier. Now, most of the people that are listening are like, shit, yeah, I want to get that information. I want to be able to tune into CMZ and see who's getting divorced. But if it was happening to them, maybe they'd feel no, different. No, no, and, and I get it. And you could say the same thing about a civil lawsuit, right? Well, yes. And again, we'll get to that, too, because well, I want to talk about Sandra Locke and Clint Eastwood back in the 90s when some of this law got made. Let's talk about, you know, a civil lawsuit. Somebody doesn't want to know that they got in a car accident and badly hurt somebody and it's their fault. What's the difference? I think the difference is that when you get married, you've kind of cast your lot with somebody else. And maybe it's not the public's business what's going on in your divorce. Why is it the public's business to find out about a car accident? 
I don't know. Well, what's the difference? I don't know. Well, but then what you want to do is have a closed court system. The problem I have with that, and it has nothing to do with my job here, you will not believe this, but I'm not obsessed with celebrity. I'm not at all. I, be- I do believe that. And, it and, probably gets boring for you by now. It does in many cases. And, you know, I was a law professor for a long time, and I really care about the legal process, the system, and I care about the openness. And I have seen, as a reporter at CBS for many, many years, I have seen abuses in closed courtrooms, especially like the federal system, where judges can do whatever they want and nobody's looking. And, you know, they have a stranglehold on their cases. And I've seen abuse. And some, look, does it get intrusive sometimes? Yes. Is it unfair sometimes? Yes. But the other side is you close it off and you know as well as anybody that if judges aren't looking at the way cases go and things all get done in private, you know what door that opens. And that's that, to me, that's the scariest thing, that ultimately you want to get justice in that courthouse. And if It's closed off and walled off and the media isn't looking. I am telling you, 10 years down the road, you're going to look at a parade of horribles. And is that why that in May of 2006, where the Burkle California Supreme Court made its decision not to seal Ron Burkle and his wife's divorce records, that it was hailed a First Amendment landmark by lawyers and feminists. Explain that to me. Is it always going to be the guy that's wealthy that could be getting favored by the judges? Well, see, I think, look, I don't want to look at this as a feminist issue or anything else. I look at it from my vantage point as a way of keeping the justice system fair and clean. I mean, that's where my vantage point is here. And, you know, look, we sit here the week that Jeff Bezos announced he's going to file for divorce. Is that relevant to the public? Well, yeah. I mean, if Jeff Bezos is, um, and I shouldn't call it his fortune because, you know, he got married. It's their fortune. But if that gets diminished in his world by half, maybe people at Amazon have a right to know. I don't know. But, you know, he's also the, the richest guy in the world. And as a matter of fact, in that case, he's the one who put it out there, ultimately. So, I mean, look, you know, it's not a feminist issue for me. And, you know, maybe, you know, there are people with legitimate gripes that men are treated better in the legal system than women. I've heard I've heard both sides of it. You have father's rights groups and you have women who say they've been screwed with with property settlements. Right. Okay. well, you know. Put the light on it, and maybe it gets better for everybody. And maybe it gets worse for some. I'm not denying that. But ultimately, you got to make a decision. Do you want an open court system, or do you want a closed court system? And both have advantages and disadvantages. I fall on the side where if it's not open, you're going to have unbelievable abuse where judges get drunk with power. With regard to child custody matters, I know from from at my office, we often will request that some of these things get sealed. And it's one of the few times, listeners, that I can get a judge to actually grant my motion to seal something because they believe when you do the balancing test that the harm to the children could 
outweigh the benefit to the public in, and the First Amendment rights to be able to read about this stuff. Do you guys ever come in? I mean, I know NBC does. I know Associated Press does. Does TMZ ever come in and fight some of this stuff? I mean, it depends on what it is. Um, I kind of know, because I've been around for a long time, that when there's a custody issue, a lot of times they close the courtroom and that's it. I don't remember a case, and I'm actually surprised you're saying this. I don't remember a case where there was a pure custody issue where the media said, we want in, when it was just about custody. I, I, I really don't remember that. I don't either. And again, I'm not sure. I know that usually it's a mix. So it'll be the entire case, and then the court will well, narrow see, that, it down. And that's the thing. Or but, it'll be custody and support. And I would argue on behalf of both the clients and the kids even though it's not just custody, who they're going to be with, where they're going to be living, the fact that mom or dad is getting paid X amount per month is so interesting to people. And it's usually such a big number that it is in the children's best interest not to have that number published. Okay. So can I give you a solution to a lot of this? Yes. My solution. And I think you might actually buy this and that we've never talked about this, but I think you might buy it. What if you got away with, if you just did away with marriage? And you said to people, look, um, ultimately, there should be free will in relationships. To me, look, my personal feeling is marriage, just the idea of it, binds you to somebody in a way where there's a little bit of free will taken away and more of an obligation put in there. Agreed. Okay. So – if that you, may be why neither one of us is married. Okay, well, it, it, okay. No, if, if you believe that, if you believe that, and if you believe that that people should be with each other because they want to be with each other, then do away with the obligatory thing of marriage and say to people, look, what everybody should do is come up with a plan on what happens if it doesn't work out. You know, do we want to do we want to pool our assets? Do we want to keep them separate? Let's just let's have an adult discussion going in and love each other and be with each other for as long as we want to be with each other. And then when it doesn't work out, we have a contract and that contract doesn't have to go necessarily even through the courts a lot of times. And it's not like you're looking at divorce. You're looking at a contract, and it's going to be part of a million other cases. But that's how I view marriage anyway. And I know people will say that I'm not romantic or whatever. If you – basically, the way it is now is that. But the default, if you don't have that contract, is marriage because marriage is a contract. So if you get married and you don't have a prenuptial agreement, then you're saying, I'm opting for the laws in the state in which we live. If you I, don't don't, think, I don't think people even think that far. I'm trying to make them think of it. I'm trying to. Ha- that's why we have this podcast. People need to understand that when you walk down the aisle, you're entering into a contract. People come to me 10 years into their marriage and say, what do you mean half of everything I earn belongs to him? But they don't understand it because part of it is this ridiculous till death do us part. Yes. So nobody. So it's like, you have, how do you have a contract when you say till death do us part. None of it makes any sense. Totally agree. One flaw or one thing that needs to be thought about in your reasoning is, do we allow the state or federal government to then 
be paternalistic, if you will, over us with kids. That's the difference. I mean, what I'm talking about here in terms of the yes. First Amendment yes. stuff is child custody, child support. If you have a kid with somebody and you haven't done what needs to be done to write up this contract that you're talking about, then does the state step in and say, you still owe child and spousal support. And we still have to figure out what's in your children's best interest to divide custody if you morons can't do it. Child support, definitely. Spousal support. See, I think that's the kind of stuff that should be really thought about and dealt with going in. And I always say that if people talked about that more honestly yeah. going in and throughout their relationship as things change, maybe one person's out of the right. workforce for a while for That's whatever right. reason, those communications would actually help people stay together instead of building on the resentment of, great, now he's home from work lying on the couch and I'm the one that's making all the money and that's going to go towards our retirement, it's going to go towards our savings, and if we split up, I'm going to have to pay him support. And what happens is when you get married, it short circuits all those discussions. Yes. You never Never have them because you're bound. Yes, and and you're safe if you're on the other side. You don't have to have them. That's right. And and I think you look. I mean, I just think in many cases, the concept of marriage does damage to relationships, to kids, to spouses, causing resentments. And if you looked at what the real issue is, if you look at it as a contract. Well, the contract has financial implications and custody implications. And if you dealt with that stuff individually and you didn't short circuit it and you didn't necessarily have this this contract of this union that makes no real sense, I think everybody would be better off. I, I agree with you. We all make resolutions in the new year because we think we're supposed to make them. But here's a resolution that you actually need to make this year. Getting rid of all those sketchy ingredients in your deodorant once and for all. Now you can ditch the aluminum and still keep fresh with coconut deodorant from Kopari. Maybe you've tried aluminum-free deodorant in the past and thought it wasn't for you. But trust me, I tried this one and it works. Kapari's deodorant is formulated with plant-based actives like sage oil and coconut oil to outlast your longest days. It smells like sweet coconut milk, but the scent is fresh and never overpowering. You just smell clean in the very best way possible for you. Unlike a lot of traditional deodorants, Kopari's deodorant goes on smooth and doesn't leave behind any sticky white residue. That's important to me because I wear a lot of black as the queen of death. Most importantly, it's vegan and free of silicones, sulfates, parabens, GMOs, and baking soda, and it's great for sensitive skin. Reordering is easy with a Kopari deodorant subscription. It's shipped as often as you choose automatically for free. And Kopari offers a money-back guarantee, so there's no reason not to try it. Go to koparibeauty.com slash divorce to make the safe switch today and save $5 on your first order when you subscribe. That's kopari, K-O-P-A-R-I, beauty.com slash divorce, koparibeauty.com slash divorce. Check it out. And by the way, guys, their dental products are amazing as well. I got a box of pulling oil, which is something you swish around in your mouth and then spit out, in addition to both the coconut whitening toothpaste and the charcoal toothpaste. They are amazing products. Who knew that mint and coconut were a good combo? Happy New Year. Get rid of toxins, both the people and the aluminums in your underarm deodorant. Alexa isn't the only one with breaking news. Make sure to hang around at the end of this podcast for the latest breaking headlines on the AP News Minute. Hey, it's Laura Wasser of Divorce Sucks. If you like my show, you're going to love What Now with Jessica Graff here on Podcast One. 
The Big Brother contestant and winner of The Amazing Race joins hubby Cody Nixon as they navigate life after reality TV and the new waters of parenthood. Check out What Now with Jessica Graff every Tuesday on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'm Laura Wasser, attorney and founder and CEO of the online divorce service, It's Over Easy. You're listening to the Divorce Sucks podcast. So the first working Monday of every year is Divorce Day. I didn't actually know that until this Christmas. It's the busiest time of year for divorces. And I mean, I always knew that we got busy in January. People would ask me why that is. And I think it's because you just can't go through one more holiday season with your spouse your in-laws, etc. So in January, people start looking into the possibility of divorce, calling divorce attorneys, going online, educating themselves, and hopefully tuning into the Divorce Sucks podcast. If you're considering dissolving your marriage, there is a way to do it without bankrupting yourself or destroying your family. My advice for couples and my guest's advice today will be to treat your divorce like a business transaction. We're talking about divorce today and the relationships that lead to dissolution of marriage with my fellow attorney, Harvey Levin. He is the creator, host, and executive producer of TMZ and the new show Rack Rants that he's been executive producing on the BET. He's one of the hosts and legal reporter for the long-running series The People's Court. TMZ, by the way, at last count encompasses three websites, four TV shows, and a bus tour of the 30-mile zone, TMZ, in Los Angeles. Let's talk a little bit about same-sex marriages. I mean, for so long... People have fought to have the right to get married, same sex. But based on what you and I are talking about, why would anyone want to get married in the first place? Well, here's the thing. If there is marriage between a man and a woman, and that's legal, then who is the state to come in and say that any different configuration is wrong? I mean, I'm sorry, but there's separation between church and state. So I don't want to hear about religion when it comes to this. And... You know, you're not going to say a black person can't marry a white person. We, we used to we say used that. We used to say that, and we realize how heinous it is. So where are we in still having any discussion about this? Is it crazy that it's taken so long? It's – well, look, it's so weird because, you know, I knew I was doing this podcast, and I actually thought about some of that this week. And I've kind of lived through a big transformation I'm old enough, you know, when bars got raided, you know, I was agoraphobic. I was so scared people would find out that I was gay. Agoraphobic. I was scared I would get fired immediately. I would go in a restaurant if I was with my partner a long, long time ago, and I could scope out that restaurant in two seconds to see if anybody was there I knew or worked with. I mean, I was paranoid. So when did the change come? I mean, I know back in the celebrity justice days. Oh, it was long before that. Okay. So so when was it? The mid-80s. Okay. But realize, I mean, in 85, I was 35 years old. and You are old. Yeah, I am old. But you know what? <laughs> it was... Yeah, but I also got to live through the 60s, and I saw Janis Joplin and Jimi Hendrix in, in concert. Then maybe, okay, that's a fair trade. Okay, and, the, yeah. and more. And you still look good. And more. And more. And there, I saw a lot of stuff. But I'm telling you, it was rough. It was, I'm sure. It was really personally rough. And the overlay to that with AIDS and, you know, scores of friends dying in their 20s and 30s, 
you know, I've seen a lot. Do you look at kids today and say, you're never going to have to go through what I went through? Like well, some of the feminists I know say, you don't even begin to understand what I had to do to get to a point where you get to be a managing partner at your firm and you get to have your own business and you get to be the person that's speaking at law schools and, and women's functions. You never had to do any of that. I had to plow that road for you. Yeah, do but you I'm, feel that way? No, because I don't think it's over. I mean, you've got celebrities making comment, you know, homophobic comments about gay people. Look, I, I, I will tell you that I had a family member when I was, gosh, when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, who suspected I, w- I might be gay. And I, and believe me, I went the whole, I almost got engaged. I, it was a whole thing with me for a long time. But somebody suspected something and started using homophobic words to me. And it impacted my life for years. So when you see like a celebrity say something really homophobic and it still happens, you think about a 12 or 13-year-old kid in Tennessee who doesn't have a real support system and that's all they hear for the first time, it can send you into a spiral that can really damage you. And I think it still exists today. I did too. Let's talk a little bit about your backstory. We know that when you were a kid, somebody made homophobic comments and Marilyn Monroe died. What else? Tell us about how how you grew up, who you are. We never hear about Harvey Levin. Oh, God. Born in? L.A. Mm-hmm. And my dad owned a liquor store. Uh-huh. And I used to work in the liquor store. We were kind of a struggling family. And my parents worked from 7 in the morning, sometimes till 2 in the morning at the store. And we lived next door to the liquor store. And I've never seen people work as hard as them. And it had an impact on me. Yeah, because you work 24-7 and you're up at like five in the mo- 4 in the morning. Yeah, but I know my parents had, had that impact on me. And they really wanted me and my brother to have a better life than them. And it's life-changing. So, you know, look, I, w- I wanted to be a lawyer because I wanted to go into politics. Okay. And that was always my goal. Okay. And I was a political animal. And I, I ran high school students for Robert Kennedy when I was, you know, a senior in high school and was at the ambassador and I was devastated and started a gun control group and lobbied a bill through uh, the city council. I tried when I was 19. So I was really politically active and so, always assumed I'd go into politics. So went, where did you go to law school? At University of Chicago. Okay, so then you came back to L.A. You want to hear a funny story? Yes. So I actually wasn't going to go to law school. I graduated from UCSB, and I wanted to be uh, a political science professor at the time. I I changed, and I had a professor who really inspired me. So I went to the University of Wisconsin, and I got this letter from University of Chicago because I I had applied for the next year because I had a feeling I might not go through with a full doctorate. And they said, if you're ever in the area, stop by because it was – Two hours. You know, it was very close. Right. And so I ended up quitting at Wisconsin because I thought, I'm not going to get a PhD. And I was going to fly back to California, work for a year. I got an apartment in California, got in an airplane. I had a six-hour layover in Chicago. And this was October 10th. And University of Chicago was in the quarter system. And they were just finishing their second week. So I take a cab to the law school, sit down with the dean, talk for about talk about nothing for two minutes. And he says, so how'd you like to go to law school? And I said, I just spent $20 in a cab ride, of course. And he said, somebody just dropped out of the first year class two hours ago. Oh, my God. You want a spot? 
By the way, this doesn't happen anymore, folks. So I said, I said, that's crazy. I said, I have all my luggage at the airport. I've got a flight back to L.A., never been to Chicago. I'm two weeks behind if that happens. Um, I have no money. And I went on, and no place to live, blah, blah, blah. He said, you worry a lot, don't you? <laughs> and he said, here's the deal. This is a really good law school. And I can't guarantee you'll get in next year. So you're going to have to go to Vegas right now. And I sat there and I thought, he's got a solid point. How old are you? 19, no, 20? No, 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 no. I was 21. Okay. And, um, and so I thought about it and I said, okay, I'm going to do it. And he said, well, I can't really accept you right now. The thing is, I need to convene the admissions committee. So what I want you to do is postpone your flight. Don't cancel it. Postpone it in case we say no. Another thing you can no longer do, but okay. Okay. So <laughs> so I did. And two hours later, he comes out into the lounge and he says, congratulations. And I said, great. Well, your parents, did they fell, so to speak? No. I mean, they didn't know this yet. Right. But when you told them. Well, listen, I okay. got to tell you. So I say, so I say. Where am I going to sleep tonight? Because <laughs> I don't know what to do. And he said, well, you can stay with the registrar. So I go to the airport and I get my luggage and I come back and we're on the Dan Ryan Expressway. Laura, I swear to you, this is true. The cab driver says, where are you from? And I said, L.A. And he said, oh, I'm from L.A. He said, I said, where? And he said, I, he said I, I'm from Boyle Heights. And I said, my dad grew up in Boyle Heights. And all of a sudden, I could see in the rear view, his face changed. And he said, you must be a Oi. He eventually pulls off the Dan Ryan and pulls a knife on me. Oh, my God. Pulls a knife on me. And he tells me to get out of the cab, takes all my money, and let me take all my stuff. I had all my shit in the, in the truck. Right. For some reason, he let me take that. He didn't that. want a bunch of stuff in his car anymore i guess okay so i i so am there you're on the side of the road i am in the middle of the street with no money in an area where the single greatest cause of death for white males under 25 was murder at night and i hitchhiked to the real to the, the registrar's house to, yeah okay and the next day i'm in law school oh my god wow that would have been when Johnny and I were talking in the Sunny Side Up report about the harbinger of bad things to come when the wedding cake was filled with styrofoam. Yeah. yeah. Who else has tried FabFitFun? If you don't already know about it, it's a seasonal box with full-size beauty, fitness, and lifestyle products. Their winter editor's box is epic. It retails for $49.99, but always has a value of over $200. It has products like skincare from Glam Glow, Kate Summerfield, Dr. Brandt, and Juice Beauty, fashion items from Vince Camuto, Bear Paw, Free People, Michael Stars, Trina Turk, and Millie, beauty products from Tarte, Moroccan Oil, Chi, Beauty Blender, Oscar Blondi, and Zoya, a ceramic bowl set from Pier One, and that's just the beginning of it. It was amazing, and when I got my FabFitFun box, I finally felt like somebody understood me. Don't miss out because they sell out fast. Check out www.fabfitfun.com. Use the code DIVORCE so you can save $10 off your first box, making it only $39.99. And that's a value of over $200 every time. Again, that's fabfitfun.com. Use the code DIVORCE. You deserve to treat yourself. Tell us a little bit about how you evolved celebrity justice into TMZ. You're a journalist. You are an attorney. You were very politically active in your youth. Tell us how it all came to be what it is today. Okay. Um, so when I 
graduated. I went to University of Miami Law School and I taught for a year, came back, practiced. And then I thought, I love teaching, but it's going to be a way of getting into the media because I, I loved the idea of being a reporter. And I always wanted to be a reporter. So I got involved in this weird way into radio when I got involved in a political campaign. And the radio led to this column in the LA Times called The Law on You. And eventually I took it to television. And then I became a real investigative reporter for years. And I loved it. These were the CBS years that you mentioned? I was actually at NBC and CBS in LA and did a lot of investigative reporting. Um, And I loved it. I I breathed it and I loved it. And I couldn't see doing anything other than that for the rest of my life. And then I covered the O.J. Simpson case. And then I started to see this intersection between celebrities and the legal system and why people were so transfixed. Because you asked me before, why? Right. Well, Well, look at that case. Yep. And... I was in law school at the time, and it was. I mean, it was really fascinating. I was on the air 24 hours a day, I felt. And that's all people talked to me about for two years. And when it was over, it changed me. And it really made me think about celebrities in the system. Are they being treated more fairly, less fairly, both? And and eventually I thought, you know, I want to produce a show on this. And I tried for seven years to get celebrity justice on the air. And everybody in town rejected it. They said, you know, studios wouldn't do it because it's going to be celebrity unfriendly, not enough material, blah, blah, blah. And I finally got um, Jim Peritori at Telepictures to say, I'll let you paper produce it for three months. Show me that you can do it. Tell us what that means. It means every day, find stories and then write a rundown of what the show would look like. And I did it. And Who was oh, the woman uh, that you worked with? Lisa Gregorish. Yes, okay. She, well, because Lisa ran uh, Extra, still right. does. Right, And I would sometimes put some of those stories on Extra. And so eventually Jim said, let's do it. You may not remember this, but then I was thinking, I want to find a host for this show. And there was a guy I know who said, I know who should host it. I had a mad crush on this woman for a long time. I thought you were going to say Anderson Cooper, <laughs> but we're not going down that road. <laughs> nope. Nope. The person said, I have had a mad crush on this person. You've got to meet this person. She's so beautiful. She's perfect. You know who it was? Mm. Yeah, you do so. It was you. Oh. It probably was a little bit better looking back then. No, 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 no. And we had a meeting. It was the first time we ever met. And you were intrigued, but this was just at the time you were really firing up your law practice and you were torn. And I was trying to convince you and I'm pretty convincing guy. And I thought I had you for a bit and I didn't. I made the right choice. You did. I've never wanted to quit my day job. I really, really enjoy practicing law, but I, do, I, do I you do. remember? I vaguely remember. Yes. yes. Oh, I tried so hard. So I loved the idea of the show. And we got it on the air for three years. But the problem with the show is we had crappy time periods. So I would end up going on CNN or Fox News or MSNBC to break a story during the light of day that we had. Because that was during Kobe Bryant. Uh, We got a lot of stories. And 
I couldn't wait till it aired on our show because it wouldn't hold. Right. And it was frustrating. And we couldn't make a business out of it. So Jim Peritori said to me, I'm going to cancel your show. That's the bad news. But the good news is that we're starting this online thing with AOL. And we're going to do this stuff with red carpets where we put more red carpet than people see. And I remember saying to Jim, I said, A, screw you for canceling the show. B, I'm a TV guy. I'm not going to do an internet thing. No. And so I just went away. And two months later, I had almost signed a deal with a network to do production. And I went to Mexico. And I was drinking a bunch of margaritas. And (laughs) I was in this margarita haze. And it just kind of hit me. And I thought, you know what? Because there were no news organizations online at the time. And I thought, you know what? If you create a news organization, but run it online, you don't have publishing cycles. You don't have time periods. Well, that's the kill. You're first. Always first. But nobody because, did it. Right. And it was so simple. What year thought, was this? 2004. And I th- when you get it right, you just, you get it up and you can beat everybody. And all you have to do is train people to know that you're accurate. Right. And that you're breaking these stories. And it seems so simple. So I went back to Jim and I said, this thing's still open because if it is, let's do it this way. And we had a lot of back and forth and this and that. But ultimately, it was that simple. What were the defining moments for TMZ in terms of really breaking the big stories? I think I know some of them. But the big stories... The big story was Mel Gibson. Yeah. That was the big story that we got the four pages that the sheriff's department redacted from the police report for God knows what reason after they lied and said that they didn't redact anything. We got it. And that was the core of the anti-Semitic rant. And the sheriff's department lied and said it didn't happen. We found out it did happen. And we published it on a Friday night at eight o'clock. So if it were a TV show like Celebrity Justice, it never would have happened. But we got it up, and it went around the world like that. Yeah, I remember. What is the difference between TMZ and, you know, some of the other less reputable tabloids, whether they're tabloids online or not? I don't look at what others do really that much at all. I just don't. I mean, I don't, like, look at other websites really during the day. But do you know that some of your colleagues slash competitors will publish things that just aren't true and because of the news cycle? Yeah. Can I tell you something? Don't limit that to tabloids. Yes. Do not limit that to tabloids. The, quote, traditional media, some of the things that happen there. Are you referring to fake news? (laughs) No. I'm not calling it fake news. No, but just I, do, do you agree that the advent of the online publishing has really, really kind of decreased the standards because you can put something up and then you can take it down? Yeah, and, I yeah, mean, yeah, I, absolutely. But I, you know, I think the idea of this holier than thou. I agree. That tradition, traditional media. I mean, when you look at somebody going on social media making a really damaging accusation against somebody and it goes untested and on somebody's air or in their newspaper or whatever without ever testing it without a police report without a lawsuit and then let the damage fall where it may come on 
Do you believe? Do that, you believe that? Uh, no, but I, and I'm surprised. I mean, do you see it? I do see it, and it scares the hell out of me. It should and. Do you think, again, they say the law is always the last thing to change. Is there going to be some way for our legal system to wrap its arms around stuff like that? Can you have some kind of a, you know, damaged by not necessarily social media, but the way it gets picked up so quickly and then reported as though it's a fact? I don't have a lot of faith in the future of the media. I really don't. And And has it been worse in the last, I'd say, 18 months than ever? Yeah. But here's the problem with it. I, I think social media has damaged the traditional media. And and I say that because the torrent of hate in social media, I think in some ways has scared everybody in the media. That when the media feels like, boy, they're going to go after you if you tell this side of a story. I think it's affected people. Mm-hmm. And what you see now on both sides is utter advocacy journalism. Not everywhere. I don't think everywhere. But in a lot of places that used to really cover the news in a balanced way, it's now all advocacy journalism on both sides. Well, and, and you believe and that there's probably, an agenda. And editors are probably saying to those guys that are still trying to keep it real, we can't compete. Oh, I don't think editors, are, a lot of editors are saying that. I think they're the ones leading the charge because I think the reality is that people want to hear what they believe it's like i think you and i talked about this once that that there are a lot of people that only go to websites and fox news well but people have it on their house 24 7 because that w- is what calms them and makes them feel better that's they right. hear about their own people so they only see the world through that lens and on the other side cnn where they see it on that lens and both are advocacy networks and, you know, at a point, and, and it's not just them, but increasingly, I think what's happened is the battle lines have been drawn and people are getting this skewed view of the world and they become more intolerant because I think intolerance is worse today than it's than ever. ever been in my lifetime, is, in my lifetime. Is there a fix Is there a fix from a media perspective? Is there a way? I mean, I talk about it with other attorneys all the time. I talk about it with people that are interested in politics, nonpartisan. Is there a fix for media? Is there some pendulum swing where the media says, we're not going to do this anymore? We're not going to take sides. We're going to go down the middle. And we really are. But, you know, the media, I think the media used to, I mean, not always, but there was this general real effort to be balanced. I agree. I don't think there's any balance anywhere anymore. And, and uh, is it going to get, I don't, the problem with it is that if it, if there were no social media and the media did this where they took sides, I think at a point the public might say, yeah, we want balanced, but because of social media, I think it's messed things up in that sense where people are looking for like-minded people and have become more and more intolerant that the idea is somebody disagrees with you or they say something you find offensive, kill them, boycott them now. And that's the feeling. Right. I don't see that changing much. And I hope it does. But honestly... They're making too much money. I just don't see it. Harvey, you're a lawyer, so of course you're familiar with interrogatories. And for those of you in our listening audience who are new to the show or who don't know, interrogatories are questions lawyers ask during the discovery stage of litigation. 
Are you ready for our divorce sucks interrogatories, Harvey Levin? You know, interrogatories are what maybe quit law practice. I'm I sorry. Hate I hated it so well, much. Well, welcome back. The Divorce Sucks podcast. We are compelled to ask every guest one. Harvey, what is your favorite breakup song? Uh, can I say why? Yes. Okay, two come to mind. Please, Mr. Postman. Can I tell you why? Yes. Because it's just the mark of a sucker. It's like, <laughs> move on. Move on. That person isn't into you anymore. They are move not writing you a letter. Move on with your life. They're not writing you a letter. Don't go to the mailbox every day. It's like a realistic view of relationships that people want to hold on too long. I like it. What's the other one? Alone again naturally. <laughs> oh, God. What would you say to cheer up a friend going through a breakup? Let me ask you, is this a divorce? It's a divorce or it's a long-term relationship breakup. Okay, well, what okay, I would it's say... It's a divorce. Okay. It's a divorce. If it's a divorce, what I would say to somebody, there are two ways of getting divorced and you need to do both. One is legally and one is in your head. Mm -hmm. That you can be legally divorced and not divorced in your head and you're still married because... You have got to reconcile and accept and move on. You know, I talked to somebody two weeks ago who had been divorced for 30 years and was asking me a question about child support from decades ago and kind of threw in, well, she didn't keep her legs closed. And I said, why are you saying this to me? Number one, that's disgusting. And number two, you haven't moved on in 30 years right. that you're harboring this. It's a tragedy for you. You need to understand relationships sometimes don't work out. And there is no such thing as there is only one person in the world for me. That's absurd. It's stupid. If you lived in India, you would find somebody. And it's not like you happen to live in Sherman Oaks and you found that person in Sherman Oaks. Especially if she couldn't keep her legs closed. Well, <laughs> I'm done. Okay, move on. Okay. Harvey, what romantic comedy could you watch on repeat? Okay, this is going to be cynical, but I happen to love it. I love When Harry Met Sally. It's and not I, cynical. People, that's a big answer here in this room. So tell us why. Well, I just think, I, I think people find people in weird ways. And, you know, when people like say, I've got to find a husband, I've got to find a wife, it just seems less likely than if you let things just kind of happen in life. And there's something about that, even though it's really unrealistic, that I just really like. I agree. And it was and it was a great movie. Yep. Thanks, Harvey, for joining us today. Oh, I, Laura, I love this. I'm Laura Wasser. And no matter what your relationship status is, if you're married, you should know how the law dictates what your rights are if you decide to get divorced. It's my job to know these things and to keep you informed, and we'll be back here next week wherever you get your podcasts. Tap subscribe to be the first to know that we drop the next episode of Divorce Sucks, and now that you've heard what we have to say, rate us, five stars please, and let us know what you want to hear more about in 2019 on the next Divorce Sucks. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.